0: This episode of See Here is brought to you by the transmutation and teleportation of the chosen nation to the cosmic station. Earth has been destroyed. Do you hear me? The Earth has been destroyed. Space is the place.
1: Vibrations are different, not like Planet Earth. Ray. Planet Ray's sound of guns, anger, frustration. There was no one to talk to from Planet Earth to understand. We set up a colony for black people here. See what they can do on the planet all their own without any quiet people there. They could drink in the beauty of this planet. It would affect their vibrations for the better, of course another place in the universe, up under different stars. That would be where the alter destiny would come in. Equation-wise, the first thing to do is to consider time as officially ended. We work on the other side of time. We bring them here through either isotope, teleportation, transmolecularization. Or better still, teleport
2: the whole planet here through music. Uh, Hello out there, everyone. Uh, My name is Bernie, and uh, you're joining us here for uh, the Sea Here podcast. So uh, hopefully you've uh, listened to us before. If this is your first time, I hope you enjoy it. As I said, my name's Bernie. I'm here in the UK, over the uh, pond and far away. We have uh, Morris in uh, Melbourne, Australia. Good evening, Seaharians. There we go. Uh, And uh, we have Tim in uh, South Korea. Howdy. How's it going, guys? Good.
3: Everything is wonderful down here because space is the place. And I'm just feeling like I'm floating on air. I'm floating around in space because I'm looking forward to talking with you two fine fellows about this movie tonight.
2: Well, we've got a doozy now. (laughs) Yeah, we sure do. So as uh, as Morris alluded to there, this month we're talking about the, uh, the Sun Ra movie, Space is the Place, from 1974. Now, who directed that one? Do you guys know off the top of your head?
3: The name of the guy was John uh, John Coney. Yeah, John Coney. Uh, or Coney or Carney? Uh, okay. I, I can't read my notes. Uh, it looks like this is the only film that he's directed. I couldn't find anything else in IMDb by him unless he's gone by a different name oh, maybe okay. maybe maybe this film um, was a blip on his map and he went and changed his name to michael bay or something like that after that <laughs>
2: <laughs> if that's the case this is probably the greatest film michael bay ever made but... <laughs>
3: yes I'll, I'll go along with that yes
2: uh, maybe he did vanish, but you kind of make a statement like this, where else is there left to go, you know? So, Well, space. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe he got on the spaceship at the end.
3: Indeed. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, yeah, here we go. Specs is the place, 1974. Well, before we discuss the film, I think probably a couple
3: of things that we should be sort of talking a little bit about. First of all, Sun Ra's actual history, his background. It's right. not normally something that we do... Uh, on on the show, but I think given that this film is not quite autobiographical, but uh, his history, his personal history, will give I guess a, some level of understanding as to how this film got made, or how the why the film looks like it does, or that Sun Ra is sort of really playing himself. The information that I have is that he was born in Birmingham, Alabama, in 1914 as Herman Blount not a son Ra he's not a Mr. Ra and Mrs. Ra he had a, a biographer who's you'll have to help me out with his surname uh, S-Z-W-E-D so I think that's pronounced Schved, maybe John Schwed. Mm-hmm. so uh, his biographer sounds good to me well oh, good I'll, I'll work with that um, so uh, John, John Schwed struggled to determine the date since Blount Ra, whatever you want to call him, would not really offer up much in the way of uh, meaningful discourse in that regard, sort of declaring himself to be from Saturn and that he uh, claimed to be descended from the Egyptian god of uh, the Egyptian sun god of Ra. What is known is that he uh, played piano from a very young age. and I've got a really interesting box set of early works. We'll probably be speaking a fair bit about the music as well as the film and how his musical progression actually went. But uh, I, I think, you know, that's that's a critical thing. You know, fairly early on, he decided that he'd been... He, he claimed his biographer, or he claimed to his other musicians that, in fact, he'd been taken away by a UFO... And, you know, was taken to Saturn and probed and had all sorts of things done to him. And then he came back declaring that, right, Earth is, Earth is gone. Earth is, you know, a useless place. In fact, I'm not from Earth. I'm from Saturn. And uh, I'm here to take people away from Earth over to outer space because really there's nothing else out there.
2: You say that and that's entirely true. But that kind of makes him sound like a a bit of a, you know, a kind of abductee UFO alien type nut. When in fact it's... Certainly in the in the movie, and I would assume in real life from uh, certainly testimony of people who knew him and so on. But he was a very sort of calm, thoughtful, measured person. And it mm-hmm. was all about the music, contacting people with the music and, um, you know, their, their kind of spiritual salvation through music. Mm. So it wasn't like he was a wide eyed screaming loon running around talking about, you know, people from Saturn. I think in
0: a way Ra was a lot like William Burroughs in in the sense that a lot of what he wrote or a lot of what he was trying to express was purely metaphoric and and yeah, it, was, it was a way that to get people to expand their consciousness is to to think in you know in a different way of thinking or a different form of language mm-hmm. and how he was trying to say that, you know, with music, music does does transport. It can take you to a different place. Music transcends all races, cultures, sexes, whatever. And I think that Raw was just basically trying to say that music was his way of transcendence. You know, it was his form of kind of meditative
3: craft. It's it's interesting that you say that, Tim. I mean, I'd say that you're definitely 100% on the money there. And yet there are probably a lot of other performers out there who didn't claim to be from outer space. And basically, those said that music was this uh, wonderful salvation and you ought to you know give yourself over to it. And you know, just ignore the thoughts of you know, the daily life in this world, and just you know allow yourself to have the music envelop you, allow the music to take you over which is mm-hmm. which is pretty much what sunrise message was but he and, and also as you alluded to bernie like, a few sentences as a descriptive at the beginning of a podcast or in a or, or on a website don't really do the man justice i'd really like to go reading his biography because we also went and watched in preparation for this uh, a bbc documentary called brother from another planet and you know what you said about him being very articulate and very well thought out and he was exceptionally well read he doesn't at all come off as someone who's you know a bit screwy or anything like that he definitely right. comes off as someone who has thought out everything that he wants to say and they, you know really his his is all on one level they make sense i mean the, the whole notion about him coming from another planet we might sort of find that a bit absurd but his as we also get in the film as what he had in real life he, he was you know basically saying right you know as he says there's this one scene and we'll get in a minute to the description of what the film is actually about but there's this scene where he's in a rec center and he's telling uh, a group of you know yeah. young, teenagers early 20s he, he, he's saying to them you know you're basically locked in by the chains of this world you know space is the place and they they take that literally but he's just as you've already gone and said, mm. you know, think outside your own right. death, ghettoized experience. This is right. you know, There are other things that you should be and, doing to improve your life. You need to sort of think wider than your own, just this place or, or your street. You need right. to sort of think a bit wider than that.
0: And the influence of raw. the one thing I wanted to get out there before I forget, it's on the tip of my mind, is the influence that raw had his music and his his philosophy outside in, in the african american sphere one of the biggest ones you know is there's one band and there's one man that was directly influenced by raw and that's yeah, big, absolutely. Big, big papa george clinton you know mm-hmm. i mean when you when you hear free your mind and your ass will follow the kingdom of heaven is within that is raw totally 100% and even you know not to go ahead with the film but you can see the funkadelic influence on raw as well in this film where in the beginning when they say the the earth has been destroyed do you hear me the earth has been destroyed and that chant is almost identical to like some of the stuff that funkadelic was doing right
2: mm. and yeah, you got like a brain and stuff right yeah, exactly yeah. right yeah.
0: you know yeah the earth is gone got knocked up for a second time you know yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you yeah, know yeah, all yeah. of that Yep, yep. And the thing is, too, like even you look at the mothership connection came out in 75. This came out in 74. And, you know, and the whole. And, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying there's thievery or anything like that, but. Yeah,
2: sure. But, but
0: the whole concept, the whole concept, like where the story that we're going to get into with Space is the Place all of the all of the funkadelic records that came afterwards and you know like the uh, par- you know parliament records that came they were all theme based records about you know the man and People trying to keep down the music and keep down the communication and the oppressors and, you know, Sir Nose, you know, Sir Void, you know, Void of Funk and, you know, people that yes. don't know how to express themselves and, you know, getting on the mothership and taking off and getting, you know, leaving the whole scene behind, I mean… That was such an integral part of Funkadelic as much, and it all
3: came from rock. It's also interesting, though, because I mentioned this box set, which I have, and it really covers music from his very early years. And there's nothing in the albums that I have that sort of points to anything of the way
2: from the sort of music he was to make later on. Didn't he play with Fletcher Henderson? Or he yes, was certainly he a, a big mm-hmm. fan and disciple of Fletcher Henderson. So yeah. that kind of fairly straight, well, not straightforward as such, but um, well, you know, given, like given you say, Fle- certainly. Given
3: Fletcher Henderson's uh, you know, pedigree, I mean, he'd been playing since the 20s and, you know, Louis Armstrong was sure. a of his and he- band. Then, yeah, sure, he would have been uh, a big influence for him, But the, the, I was just coming back to this set. There's a CD in there of early singles that Sun Ra put out, I think, on his Saturn label. And they're all doo-wop. Yep. They're all R&B. Right. R and R and, B, and right. this is, a, I mean, it's more contemporary of what was going on at the time. It's a long way away from what you imagine, the psychedelia that was the next generation of uh, Parliament and Funkadelic. But here's
0: here's the thing, though. You know, George came up in doo-wop too with the Parliaments, right?
3: Right, did, that's yeah. true, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, I mean, you know, you can see where, you know, I'm. I'm not saying he did, but there's a possibility that you know George actually had listened to Ra right from the beginning of that all that doo-wop phase, right? So
2: mm, mm, mm. I, I was going to say I'm generalising it a little bit here, but there, there's been several kind of examples of the the kind of African American experience sort of equated with the whole kind of cosmic alien thing, Afrofuturism, got, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, because right. obviously Sun Ra was, well, I'm sure the first to do that. You've got I George was, Clinton, and then in, in the 80s, you've got the uh, the Detroit techno thing with like right. Cybertron and, and well, so on. So, even there's that
0: you had like guys like the Lost Poets, sure, yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. You know, and you had guys like you know, um, Gil Scott Heron. oh, yeah, sure, yeah, and, yeah, and, and then there was also an African American science fiction writer, her name's Octavia Butler. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah. you know, there were there was a whole movement of Afrofuturism, and there was you know a lot of people that were looking forward and and using metaphors and using you know different contexts of language and different forms of art yeah. to really express Absolutely. the uh, African American situation that was that they were living. Yeah. In. I mean,
2: particularly in this it, sort of period in the, in I guess the sort of late sixties into the seventies, even. Yeah.
0: Even I want to go as far as and I don't mean to, you know, to go off on a tangent, but there's a dude from Detroit and his name was Pedro Bell. And Pe- oh, sure. yeah. Pedro yeah. Bell was the artist who did all the designs for all the funkadelic records, you know, the 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 cosmic designs that he came up with, you know, the illustrations on the album covers and all the the writings and the little comic books inside, he created a whole mythology himself. It was all as futurism. So, I mean, Raw, his idea, I think, of the cosmic mind expansion, it went off in so many different directions with so many different people in so many different ways. And it's just incredible. I mean, there's people that you wouldn't even consider. And also, there was another guy. And this is not an Afrofuturist thing, but there's another guy that I would say that is a big influence at the same time, and there was a guy named Moondog.
2: Okay, yeah.
0: You know, because Moondog was another dude who was, you know, a street musician in New York City in the 50s. Mm Mm-hmm who was a cosmic kind of dude, and he was a white dude, though. But, I mean, but the idea of Moondog as being, you know, another visitor from another planet and having his own views on music and everything, it was almost, it almost sure. ran parallel to what Ra was doing.
2: Yeah, I can see that, yeah. So, at this point, uh, maybe we should get into the film, guys. Uh-huh, sure. So, um I'll give you a, uh, a little plot summary here, although it's difficult because it's kind of... Convoluted. It's, strange, <laughs> convoluted it's it's do you mind can i put almost my hand autobiography for this? I, I i sort of went and go, wrote, a yeah, little, go ahead, went wrote a
3: little thing hopefully this is um uh, reasonably adequate adequate so sun ra and his orchestra fly down to earth in a spaceship that resembles a pair of tits ra wants to bring <laughs> ra wants to bring black people back to populate another planet i think i don't remember if he actually ever says that it's Saturn but there's another planet, and start all over again to avoid the exploitation they've faced on Earth. First, he has to face off in a tarot-like game in the desert with the devil, a.k.a. the Overseer. Every time one of them plays a card, it leads to some vignette related to that card. The Overseer wants the souls and minds of uh, the Afro-American community to stay on Earth, while Sun Ra wants to take them to outer space, the place, before the Earth destructs due to man's corruption and greed. Is that a good description, you reckon? Sure. Good. That sounds well, pretty nice I was
0: going to say, though, at least the spaceship didn't look like a pair of tits to me, but it looked like, you know, it kind of looks like those eyes you have in your icon, Bernie. <laughs>
3: yes, yeah, it totally does, doesn't it? <laughs> they, they look like those
0: googly, googly, those googly eyes. eyes that you used to exactly. get, the eyes that were on springs in the glasses. That's yeah, what it, yeah. Well, I, I thought it looked like a couple me. of
2: parsnips that were kind of attached in the middle and kind right. of right, right. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. my, <laughs> either my way, bed. it was a cool spaceship.
0: Now, I was going to say something before we continue. This film was written by Raw as well as um, oh, what was his name now? Here, it was written. It was co-written by Raw and and the um, the other fellow now, uh,
3: oh, Josh shit. Joshua Smith. So, I think I've got written right. Now now filmed in 1972 to to, released in 74 right. filmed in 72
0: right i want to say to you now there's a lot of aspects of other films that i really get in this for one well let me just go through and just right off the top of what hits me rudy ray moore pd wheat okay yeah because of the, the overseer the whole pimp devil thing there totally yeah. reminds me of pd Weedstra. And then, of course, you know Bergman, because we're yes. them sitting out in the desert. You I've got, know, got, I've got of yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, and, against the, uh, yeah. Playing again, for the yeah, with the future of uh, right. the planet. and, the and it also yet.
0: reminds yeah. me of Sweet Badass's song because it just—I just get the feeling of being on the street, like that—that street-level camera yeah. thing that's going on.
2: It's almost documentary at points, isn't yeah. it? Right, They're right, very right. Genuine, right, Very real. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say Go that ahead, moment Wars. in
3: the uh, that moment in the car when uh, the character Jimmy Faye – is um, interviewing Sun Ra about his philosophy and you know yes. saying why is it that you're you know wanting to get ordinary people to go into space? Why aren't you uh, getting you know? I think does he say you know white scientists or something like that? And that that yeah. is very much uh, is a term cinema verite that describes documentary style. I mean that right. that bit sort of sure. gave off that impression for sure.
0: I was going to say too. It also because of that cinema verite it reminded me of like stuff like the Mercedes brothers. You know this the okay, stuff yeah. that that they had done. But there was there was just so many feelings that I got from from watching this. You know it just, it I didn't guess,
2: uh, the one thing that really struck me that, that uh, the person this reminded me of in spots uh, was Kenneth Anger. Oh, yeah, uh, totally. Lucifer Rising. There's, yeah, yeah, there's parts of time. this which um, really, really reminded me of that.
3: Big time, big time. So, yeah yeah oh no so i was going to interject that i mean i haven't seen any of the kenneth anger stuff and i'm going to go um considerably i don't know is lowbrow the word but uh, i i got a, a distinct uh, head feeling from uh, oh yeah from the look of oh the yeah, film. Yeah. yeah yeah because especially yeah. like in the in the first half of the film where you're, you're sort of waiting for there to be a connection between the scenes it's only like once it sort of gets on later with the two fbi agents or cia agents or whoever they are come on board and you sort of tend to see a lot easier the connection between the scenes than you do with say head the first time you watch that right i mean it still it still gives it that feel but but still yeah for me the first half of the film where all the scenes they really don't seem very connected at all that is just Mm -hmm. i've got that distinct monkey's head feeling
0: right and the other one that really totally uh i got a feeling from from this was uh darktown strutters uh that's the one that okay.
2: uh,
3: zom and loaf talked about i haven't seen that one but uh, yeah.
2: yeah no i haven't
3: no, either i'm
0: aware oh man yeah there's a lot of it, the whole idea of the white the white man the the, the white man's ultimate goal or his, his his persistent goal is just to bring down the black man and every step yeah. of the way you know just the, the compulsiveness of whitey to to basically keep him keep the thumb down on the african-american uh
2: Race, you know. Well, if I
0: anything, that, I think this film could have been called uh, Race in My Face. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think it, to all intents and purposes, and then certainly uh, how this is generally kind of classified and how it would have been at the time, I mean, it, it's essentially, it looks and feels... Kind of like a a sort of cheap black exploitation film. But there is, you know, it's actually, it's really nicely shot. It's well put together. Mm -hmm. It's well thought out. The structure works really well. So even though it's very obviously cheap, it's not just a cheap piece of exploitation.
3: Oh, no. No, no. I watched this and I I don't know quite how to to put it like this, but I, I sort of found that I came away with... A lot of enjoyment from the film probably in spite of it rather than mm-hmm. because of it I, I i sort of tended to feel that you know there's there's bits in there that oh this is so clumsy this uh, you, you go and mention the, there's something about the you, you've gone and mention the photography there bernie or the way how it's shot and yeah i, I enjoy it maybe in spite of itself maybe i'm just, i'm just sort of going along with the flow with this i'm it's not the sort of thing that I think. Right, I want to sort of uh, determine whether the structure is a three-act story—and how's the script and how's the acting. Because really, a lot of the acting for mine is—I won't say abysmal, but it's—it's you know, it's not great. But there's probably yeah, because I, I probably because that, but... probably because of what Sunrise philosophies are. It, it, there's <laughs> there's a lot of substance in there despite what they're going. And I still come away thinking,
2: well, I well, really that's enjoyed it. It is. It's not about the acting or telling necessarily a, a coherent story. It's about Sun Ra putting his philosophy across. Yeah. Um. And 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 I think in 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 that respect, it works really well. And and frankly, some of the the kind of clumsy acting and you know kind of uh, sticky tape and cardboard kind of elements of it <laughs> kind but, of add to that. Really. Right. I mean, well, you know, it's kind of you
0: know, hard because I mean. When you you actually have a philosophy or a belief system, you know it's it's one thing when you write it down in a book or release a textbook or some some t- or you, or you give a lecture about it. But when you're, you know, it, but it's like how many people are going to sit down and watch Nietzsche the movie?
2: Sure, yeah, yeah, you know,
0: and it's just and it's just the thing. I mean, and I think
2: I understand you have to make it entertaining. Well, what
0: had happened apparently was the whole the whole impetus behind this film was apparently there was a community uh, public access or or some public funded uh, station and they wanted, and initially it was just going to be a documentary, just a straight up footage of, of raw and his band. But then apparently raw thought of a way to, uh, you know, use the music to kind of, you know, uh, motivate or kind of influence, you know, the inner city communities and things like that. And to show how it can change things. So then they actually came up with the idea to have a story that ran parallel to footage of him and his band.
2: Mm. Okay, yeah.
0: So I think that's you know, and, and that was kind of you know, Raw's you know, that was his kind of uh, impetus as well as you know, it wasn't just the people who directed and wrote the film. It was it was part of you know, Raw's kind of idea. Yeah. But here's yeah. the thing. Um, I was saying this to Morris earlier this week, and this is this is kind of uh, an interesting thing where we live in an age now of the music documentary where, you know, they came out five times a week. And, every sure. you know, and it's like you're not, you're not really considered, you know, an established band or an artist until you've had a documentary made about you, you know. But today, you know, it's like we can watch them on cell phones. We can watch them, you know, on uh, video on demand or DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, right? But back in the 70s when this came out, you could either watch it on television or the theater and that was it. So, yeah. I mean, when you – and and this isn't the kind of film that's going to be, you know, like screened in every multiplex, every inner city multiplex. This, this isn't the
3: kind yeah. of thing that's going to – This is, not, this is be, not Ken Russell's Tommy. No.
0: No, <laughs> not by any stretch. But I mean – but I'm thinking in my mind when I'm watching this, I'm thinking, who the hell did they make this for? Because yeah. it, it's just so out there. And, and And the other thing that I can kind of parallel it to was – um, Stevie Wonder did a soundtrack It was a documentary about the secret life of plants
3: yeah I've never seen okay, I've never yeah. even heard of that film being available I've seen the album you know many times right. over the years but right. um, does the film actually exist yeah it does oh wow but
0: it, apparently it was buried but but again, I'm saying, like in the '70s, when things come out like this, it's like, who? Do, how did they think people were going to be able to see this? You know, it, it just blows yeah. my mind that they were even made. Because what it, maybe like cult, like uh, the midnight movies were coming out in New York and Chicago and some of the major cities. I could see this playing some of the stoner theaters, you know, alongside of El Topo and. You know, yeah, Clockwork sure. Orange and stuff like that. Sure, absolutely. I
2: can see that. But you don't make a movie to play in like four theaters in one city, do you? So, right.
3: That's just it. Yeah. And, and it's so, crazy
2: that. Yeah, it's it, crazy yeah. that
3: this was made. But then again, uh, yeah, maybe, but, Sun, maybe yeah. Sun Ra just sort of figured, <laughs> you know, however many people will get my message, those will be the ones that will get my message. You know, I doubt. That he was, yeah. You know, I and mean, really, I mean, just not just the fact that his music was, or that his message was not what mainstream America wanted to hear, but he was also doing, you know, uh, free improvisation jazz, you know, which was really marginalised. It wasn't even rock and roll. It was, it, it was free jazz. That's the it, thing, was, isn't it? it was, yeah. a, it was a marginalised form of a marginalised music. Uh, so right. it was already like several. not easy listening. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Wait
2: How about the uh, leaping ahead a little bit here? But there is concert footage of the uh, the orchestra in this. Right. How do you guys feel about that? I mean, are, are you fans of this period of Ra's music? Do you uh, do you think it does it do it for you? I've always
0: loved Ra, like in all in all steps. I mean, I think, and this isn't this isn't like you know, like kind of blind sheep, you know, kind of leading, you know, like following the, the flock or whatever. But I I have to say that when you find an interest in an artist that kind of something really strikes you, you're more you're more willing to kind of follow along with where they go. And I mean, you you look at people like Beefheart and uh, or you look at even even, for example, like Dylan, where, you know, Dylan or or Neil Young, who has made some very different albums, you know, throughout their career. And I mean, you know, you follow them along and and sometimes, you know, there's some things that you like more than others. But for me, Raw was really interesting when he would just pick up people along the way and change the orchestra however he he saw fit. You know, the only footage I'd ever seen of Raw aside from this was um, I remember seeing him. Late night on uh, Canadian Broadcasting Television on uh, Night Music with David Sanborn.
3: I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hmm right. And that yeah. was the... F- I mean, because David Sanborn and I admire him. I think he's a great musician, and you know, there was a lot of adventurous stuff on Night Music. But like his own music is probably a, a lot more, shall we say, safe than uh, than what Sun Ra was doing. So I thought it was probably a very brave move that he uh, that he had him on. But I've seen some of that YouTube footage. Sure, sure. And you know, the funny thing
0: with Ra too that I find that's um, really interesting with the orchestra is, you know. How he adapted the whole Egyptian mythology, and he yeah, actually sure. he actually went back to Egypt and he rec- and he recorded and toured Egypt like several several times, and he all, he went through all through Africa and he went back to the motherland, and, and you know his his music was embraced in many different ways by you know, I mean like you have to understand that when the sixties and the seventies the whole abstract movement. In art, I'm talking about visual art, was in full swing, you know, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of, you know, um, raws music actually complemented a lot of what was going on at the time. But I, I really liked this. I really like the orchestra stuff of this period. Yeah.
3: look, I'm I'm with you, and actually, I like the fact that you brought up Captain Beefheart. I thought that's a really fantastic comparison, and you know, there's there's easier and more challenging Beefheart to right. get, to get your head around. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting about the documentary, the BBC show, that. Uh, we all watched was that they said like he recorded something like 200 albums in his lifetime, and he just sort of sold them at shows, and sometimes you know they'd have yes, hand drawn yeah. hand drawn covers, and sometimes it wouldn't even have a cover. But a lot of that stuff is actually on YouTube. But the the albums that I have in this box set, as I said, were you know fairly early on, and there's there's one album called Jazz by Sun Ra even before I watched this documentary where they made the connection. But I listened to it and I thought. The orchestration and the dissonance, and the way how the horns, the horn section sounds, it, it really sounds like he's been um, heavily influenced off Duke Ellington. And then when they mentioned mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. show, uh, they said that he was a big fan of uh, the Duke. I thought, well, you know, I'm glad I, I was on the money with that. But it's, right. it's like what he sense, did yeah. over, over time, because, you know, Bernie, you asked about. How we felt about the music in this film. It, it seems like he's one of those artists, and I, I know that there are others out there who wanted to strip things back and right. not. You know, he probably sort of he was a big fan of that, and then he thought, right, well, let's make things simpler. What happens if I do this? What happens if I pull away this orchestration? Let's. What happens if I get all the horn section and keyboard, the other keyboard guys to play percussion? What happens if I get June Tyson, the singer, to chant? whatever i chant and there, there's moments where right. sunra mm-hmm. like you see moments where he's playing around with electronics because he was a great innovator apparently but you know there's nothing that 15 years before would have given you any indication that this is where he was he was going ahead so sure, yeah. but, but just listening yeah. to that sort of thing i think i've gone i've gone and mentioned before in podcasts and probably on uh facebook page posts that people like ornette Coleman never really did anything for me and this is probably not a long way away from that sort of free jazz spirit mm-hmm. that Ornette well there was a bring. guy too but i dig this
0: there was a guy too albert eiler oh
2: yeah yeah
0: and i i think you know that eiler a lot of what he was doing was very very similar to what raw was doing you know just uh freeform skronk and you know in it's not everybody's cup of tea but you know what's really funny too is that just off the top of my not to, you know, digress, but off the top of my head, there's a band from Africa now called Kokono Number no. One. Mm. Yeah. And they have their own style of music called Congotronics, where they actually use old keyboards and junkyard metal and uh, circuitry and uh finger organs and all kinds of stuff to create this kind of amazing rhythmic african electronic dance music that sounds very very similar to
3: a lot of of raw's orchestra it's just incredible
0: like how how that connection
3: i mean like how the influence of it all bernie where do you stand on um, th- this period of the music
2: i like it i'm, I'm definitely a fan I'm I'm not the most knowledgeable uh, jazz cat, as it were, but the, the stuff I do tend to gravitate towards is the uh, the more freer yes. uh, end of the spectrum. So I guess I'm kind of I'm opposite to you in in that respect, Morris. Mm. And I think cause I, I mean I don't know if we've really stated at this point, but Sun Ra by all accounts was. Almost a musical genius. I mean, he was a super talented musician. He could, um, in the uh, the documentary we watch, there's um, an anecdote about it. there's a scene in the movie where um, he's uh, playing an old sort. It's like a 1940s speakeasy. Yes, right. Uh, and he's playing his piano for a troop of dancing girls to come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during the the rehearsals for this, he was just plonking around on the piano, and he wasn't coming up with something sort of you know that that would work for the girls to dance to. So he played some records for them, and they said, "Oh, we, we quite like that one. We'll do that." And then apparently he just wrote the notation for it straight down. You know, he kind of transcribed it by ear, and then just played it. Mm, mm. You know, so um,
3: I think there was somewhere else in the film.
2: musician, f- but
3: I think there was somewhere else in the film where they implied. That what we'd normally sort of think as impro and just what, what I think Tim called scronk it was actually yeah. written written down. It wasn't just hey make this up on the spur of the moment what we'd imagine. But said so he could actually write this out. Well,
2: the point I was going to get at is I think with the best free music, it's not just I mean it is strong, but it's not. You need to know how the music works. You need to right. know how it's built before right. you break it apart and do something different right. with it. Yes.
0: Well, I, I mean the best free musicians. Going back to Beefheart for a second, I mean, you know, the Magic Band, they rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. I mean, all that yeah. was written. All the music that Beefheart, you know, sat down with, man, that yeah. wasn't just yeah. free, freeform at all. But it sounded like it, but it wasn't.
2: Well, that's the other interesting correlation between some Ra and Beefheart is that Beefheart had the, the Magic Band uh, sort of ensconced in a house for months on end, mm-hmm. right. practicing nonstop. And um, the house that Ra had in, they were in New York initially, and then they moved to, like, I think it was Fishtown in Philadelphia, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. But it was the same setup. They had a house where the orchestra lived and practiced and played, and um, it was constant. Apparently, Ra takes, he used to take cat naps. So he would be playing and then he'd, he'd sort of sleep for five minutes and then he'd wake <laughs> up and they'd start again. Mm-hmm. And it would just continue. It was relentless. Yeah, you You have to be a really good musician, and you have to really know your shit to to play free music uh, in the way that Ran or the other sort of great practitioners of it do. I think right, right, and the thing with free music as well. I mean, my, my take on it is that it's as i said you need to know how it's built so you can tear those blocks apart and through doing that you're kind of trying to transcend what's built in the first place and try try to reach something further on yeah and and that is again that's you know you can read the sort of spiritual aspect of what Brad does into that well it's, I'm, it's reached beyond the known to try and, and get to something you know so he's trying to
0: get period. to the space that's that's it's chasing exactly. space chasing exactly.
2: space yeah yeah so sure. yeah i mean I, i'm a fan of that kind of music in general when it's done well mm-hmm. of course when it's done well it's is a subjective thing but i, I think rye is was one of the greats and this period although apparently yeah you know his earlier stuff going back into the 60s was was even more out there than uh, what was going on here mm-hmm. uh but certainly, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, what's going on musically in this. I think it's fantastic. I'm right. sure to get back was,
3: into the film, oh, so I just wanted to say one last thing about the music because you know sure. what we're talking about the uh, his free jazz stance. I'm sure that Miles Davis, you know, on his way to uh, Bitches Brew and on the corner and in a silent way, was probably yeah. listening to Sun Ra and saying, "Man, this guy's
2: oh yeah, one bad motherfucker,"
3: <laughs> or, or, son, or something <laughs> to that. Everyone, yeah, so yeah. But for sure, he would have been a, a big fan, I imagine. Big time.
2: Just, I'll just say quickly that I, I think in that respect as well, I think Sun Ra was a, a musician's musician. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Yeah. And he, Sorry, he Tim, just seems so simple. He just, everything he did, you know, he just, the way he spoke and the way he, he played, it just seemed so like just, you it's know.
2: effortless,
1: isn't
0: it? Effortless, like the back of his hand. Like somebody would say, well, what do you think about this? what Do I think about this? I just think, blah, 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 blah. you know, like he just and he just laid lay this heavy knowledge on you. Like, like there's the bit in the film where he's talking about to the kids, and they're like, Well, you know, are you real? Are you real? Like, when he's in the rec center, yeah. it's like, I'm not real, I'm a myth, just like you. You know, we don't, yeah, you know, we don't amazing. exist in the society, we don't exist to the white man, we don't exist. You know, it's like, you know, we we belong in a
1: different place, you know. I am Sun ambassador. From the intergalactic regions of the Council of Outer Space. Why are your shoes so big? Are those moon shoes? How do we know you for real? Yeah, how do we know you ain't somebody off telegraph? She's some old hippie or something. <laughs> <laughs> <You know that? laughs> Where are you? I mean, we don't know that. She's for real?
4: He might have something going for him.
1: Yeah, we showed them. What, was it? what kind of shoes is that you got on your feet? Yeah, walking around in all these funny clothes, Shoot, I know, I probably take off running. I seen somebody walking down the street coming, talking all that mess to me, talking about going to outer space. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. We don't know what you are. <laughs> well, How do you know I'm real?
4: Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm not real. I'm just like you. You don't exist in this society. If you did, your people wouldn't be seeking equal rights. You're not real. If you were, you'd have some status among the nations of the world. So we're both myths. I do not come to you as a reality. I come to you as the myth, because that's what black people are, myths. <laughs> I came from a dream that the black man dreams long ago. I'm actually a present sent to you by your ancestors. I'm going to be here till I pick out certain one of you to take back with me. What if we won't come? You going to make us come? Then I'm going to have to do you like they did you in Africa, chain you up, take you with me. Are there any whiteys up there? They're walking there today. That's right. They take frequent trips to the moon. I notice none of you have yeah. been invited. How do you think you're going to exist? The year 2000 is right around the corner. But I was going to say about the film,
0: there's parts of it that make me laugh so hard that I can't help it. But I mean, like, I understand like, you know, Rob, his intent and what he wanted to do and lay down his knowledge. But then there's, there's elements of it that are just so hilarious. Like when his <laughs> ship comes down and when the overseer is waiting for him and he says he's two minutes late. And then the reporter guy's like, Oh my God. Oh my God, he really is here. And then the cam- the white camera crew are like, There he is. <laughs> it's like he's yeah. just over there. Oh, there he is. You know, like nobody's oh, stunned. Arrived. Yeah, oh yeah. you know, and nobody's stunned, you know. Or else the the other bit too is where uh, what, what was the overseer's uh, flunky? What was his name? Uh,
3: well, his his flunky was Jimmy Fay. The, oh. the, the the yeah, Jimmy Fay. When um, Jimmy
0: yeah. Fay's in the hospital, yes. When Jimmy Fay's in the hospital, and the two nurses come yeah. in, they're about to give him a sponge bath, and they're getting they're getting a little uh, a little funky, and he's getting <laughs> all excited, and then all of a sudden the overseer says, "Do me a favor, wait outside." You know, here comes hot lunch.
3: Hey, can't you get those things off? Just don't stand there gapping. Come on, baby.
2: What did he
1: say about doing business? Uh, he, he just said something about a cosmic employment agency. That's all. Okay. But well, what about doing business with you? Uh, oh, uh, you just say we meet it as a spaceship tomorrow. I see. You know I always like that too. God damn! How do you feel now?
2: Mighty fine, boss.
0: Mighty
1: fine, boss. Mighty fine. Good. And wait for me outside.
0: That's totally Rudy Ray Moore right there. That's that's a Rudy Ray Moore bit if I ever saw it. And then when Jimmy Faye goes outside and he's like, Damn it, man, two women, what's it gonna do? And then he turns around and his ass is sticking out from the the hospital, gallery <laughs> <right>? Like it, <laughs> That's just hilarious. I mean, and the problem is, you know, I'm not saying the film is bad, that I didn't enjoy it. I did. But I think one thing for me is that when you're, you've got the genius of Raw and the genius of his music, and he's got a serious intent with what he's trying to lay down, like his his ideals. And I think that they kind of get, you know, tied up with some of this slapsticky exploitation type stuff you know right. and, and to me
2: i don't know if i'd agree with that i mean i can see what you're saying but i think the the film works the film is more than the sum of its parts mm-hmm. and i think those elements work in the context of the film because you know the films of this ilk that were coming out at the time were kind of like that right so uh, it kind of makes sense that there's these kind of wacky comedy slapsticky right or else elements. And some of the violence, and that you right. know, it, it's very misogynistic and unpleasant in places right. as well. Or
0: else, apparently, well, in reality, like Raw, there's two edits of the film because Raw really was uh, against the the sexuality in the film. He really didn't like it. So apparently, yeah, I think, I think there's a that. there's a release of the film without the nudity and everything else. But you know, now that you mention it, I'm thinking there's kind of a parallel where you know everything with the overseer is kind of goofy, you know, like yeah. when he's, he's he's playing dice, he's rolling dice on the street and he sees the guy losing his shoes and he, he's yeah. in the hospital with Jimmy Faye and all this stuff. Everything that goes on with the Overseer seems kind of tacky and it seems kind of like you almost expect the Benny Hill music to kick in, right? Because it's just, yeah, it's just yeah. kind of silly. But when Raw comes on the scene, he's serious and, you know, he's, he's always very stoic. And yes. very, you know, like just matter of fact. And yeah. he doesn't bullshit anybody. I mean, you know, like when uh, there's those two young hoods, when they're talking to the overseer outside the rec center, and he says, you know, you really believe raw oh, man? He just wants to sell his records, man. He's trying to sell you guys some horse shit, right? Yeah. But one kid's looking at him like, you know, get out of here, man. You know, he's for real. Like, you're the joke, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, the interesting thing as well, you know, Ra and the orchestra show up and they're dressed in all these kind of like crazy costumes. Oh, yeah. You know, if you just take a step back, they look ridiculous. And yet, as you say, they are the the most kind of grounded, sensible and... Yeah. calm and collected and reasonable people in the film oh yeah all the the kind of you know the uh like you say the kind of wacky slapstick stuff is you know that's reality all right presented that's, that's, as reality right. isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. right so there is a yeah. parallel
0: you know so I, I i do agree with you now that i'm thinking about it bernie that you know it does work
2: yeah and despite the fact that Rat is you know he's kind of cryptic in what he says and he represents something completely different he is He's the voice of reason very much in this, I think.
3: Mm-hmm. So I, I want to so. come back to uh, your notion there, uh, Tim, about funny moments in the film. So there's this scene where you know the band goes and says to Sun Ra, hey, listen, man, a few hours before we're going to do this concert, off you go and uh, get get yourself some kip. And he leaves the theatre and he's captured by these two CIA agents who are saying, right, we hear that there's a program where you're um, – uh, you're trying to get kids to outer space. You know, we want to know about this Afro-American interplanetary migration scheme that you've got going. And they tie him down to this chair and uh, they they torture him by. Putting headphones on and playing <laughs> something like, well, you know, whatever whatever uh, Kenny G's predecessor was, or something like that. Uh, it's I, uh, it's Dixieland,
2: that was... isn't it? They play him. Uh, it's like the American trilogy almost. It's right. uh, to live, die and die in Dixie, isn't it? They're playing <laughs> like the brass band version,
3: which is you know probably you know the complete antithesis of what Ra's presenting. He's saying, right, you know, man, we've gone and developed our music. It's come a long way from you know what you knew. You know, however many hundreds of years ago, we've become advanced, yeah. and this is what we're doing. And so, right. but yeah, yeah, that that was a very, very funny moment. Uh, there were also, I mean, there were bits over, I mean, we've already sort of gone and alluded to um, the the seventh seal. You know, Ingmar Bergman. Uh, really, it's it's hard to not sort of say that this has biblical allusions. I mean, because I think you know, I read a. Oh, Ra Ra said like he read everything. And uh, so it, it's all—it it all seems to have, uh, you know, been caught up, and yeah, it's—it it, it just—it really is fascinating. He's not following any one faith, I mean, even though he saw this, says, right, I'm descended from the, the God of, uh, the, the sun God, this, but I'm taking on board everything, and he read everything, and so, it, it, if, you if, could, you're, um, if you're just you looking could, at it on the surface, it doesn't, it seems like, you know, this is all ridiculous, but really, when you think about it, there's, uh, it, there is a lot of interesting stuff going on, and you, you guys have well, all both mentioned, it's greater than the sum of its parts.
0: Sure, and I was going to say, I know you don't listen to Morris, and I don't listen to him either, and Bernie doesn't, but Bernie, what do you think about Sun Ra, Kanye? Kanye's the shyster, but I think he's 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 trying to cop a lot of this as well, right?
2: Uh I could kind of see that, but I think with Kanye, it's more about ego than it is anything
0: oh, else. Oh, absolutely! But I'm just saying, like he calls himself yeah. Black Jesus, and that uh.
2: this is it. I, I think he feels that he, he's above and beyond everyone else, and what he's doing is on, is on a different plane. But that's not because mm. he's interested in spiritual matters. Or oh no, no, no,
0: no, no! But I'm just saying, like kind
2: of message is just he thinks he's hot oh, shit. He thinks you know, yeah, yeah it's ego. Yeah. Totally see that he, he's taken. He's taken something from Ryan. Ryan stands definitely. Right. I was going to say, on a really simplistic level, you could read the movie as the overseer is the devil, and sunrise mm-hmm. right, it's, you know, Jesus come down uh, from the heavens trying to, you know, he's bargaining for the uh, the souls of uh, of the earth, isn't it? So You could
0: almost hear uh, if it wasn't if it wasn't so Cracker Barrel, you could almost hear the devil went down to Georgia in this. <laughs>
3: <one>. <laughs> oh, what are you saying about that song, Tim? You don't think Charlie d- Daniels band?
0: No, I'm just saying, you know, like the the the, the honkified, uh team wouldn't really stick to this one. I'm sorry, but no, it's
2: a... <laughs> I like the scene where uh, Ra opens uh, an outer space employment agency. In yeah, the oh man,
3: that's fantastic. Uh,
2: Good morning, Mr. Ra. Let me introduce myself. My name is Curtis Rockwell.
4: I work for NASA uh, designing uh, guidance systems. I designed the M402 system for them. For NASA, that is. No, <sighs> let me be blunt, Mr. Ra. I've got a wife and seven kids, and, and if I don't get a job pretty soon, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to all be out in the street, or
1: or what's worse, on welfare. You can get a job on our discipline plans, but being of the particular race you are... Oh, no, no
4: I, I'd consider a cut
1: in salary. We don't really have salaries in our dimension. We creators never receive anything for our work. I, I could learn your methods. Multiplicity adjustment, readjustment sentences, isotope teleportation, transmolecularization, frequency polarization, intergalactic rim of eternal darkness, intergalactic rim of eternal black darkness, white darkness, infinity incorporated. Oh,
4: I, I see, Mr. Raw. Well, uh, thank you very much. It, it's it's been nice. Uh, I've got to be going now. Uh, I, r- I really have another appointment.
1: Three, two, one,
2: yeah that's so good and so you have a couple of people coming in kind of looking for work yeah uh and you and that know where Coleman. Sorry. and
0: so on, so high and she's like why don't you yeah. fly me sometime hey, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and there's <laughs> a dude he's um he's a and that uh is he a nasa scientist and he's yeah like, yeah i was involved in uh this this and yeah. this and the and one all, guy- you know, and Raz like, well we, we don't actually pay any wages. It's, it's yeah, like, yeah. I'm trying know?
0: to feed my family, man. I'm I'm afraid we're gonna be out on the street. Like, oh I'm sorry, Mr. Ra. And but the way they play them, they play them as like the whitest of white, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. like it's just totally like the the overblown exaggeration.
2: I love how Raz kind of sat there at this little kind of uh cubicle that it's like a, he's like a bank teller or something almost. Right. He's got like phone there and there's all sort of, you know, people doing stuff in the background and he's just sat there very calm. Yeah, amazing. That's that was really funny that yeah. sequence. Really and
0: good. you know what I was gonna say too, is like when Raw's sitting in his little headquarters there with his TV and his phone and his tape deck and it's everything. Amazing, and that, it? yeah, it's
1: amazing,
2: isn't it? It's
0: amazing, man. And I thought, you know what? If he wasn't if he wasn't such a good guy, man, he'd make one hell of a Batman villain. Oh, totally. <laughs> like I can see Raw, like like the sixties Batman with Adam West. I could totally see like uh, yeah, Raw. Rob being a being a villain, man. He's what, just the way. There, wasn't there an Egyptian oh, uh, villain? Yeah, that was Victor like... Buono, King Tut. Yeah, yeah
3: oh, that's King
0: right. Tut, yes, yeah.
2: yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it was Victor Buono. Yeah. So, um, I guess we're uh we're getting to the end of it now, guys. So, um, I, I was going to say, like, there's something at the
3: end of the film. I don't want to give it away, obviously, because you know, in mm-hmm. case I, I, I do want people out there to watch the film. But if I can sort of uh, find a way to ask this, what did you guys think about? When the Jimmy Fay character, he, he decides, I don't want to go on the spaceship. And then Sun Ra says, you're going to leave something behind. And then this yeah. thing that he leaves behind completely changes how he reacts with the Overseer. Because up until this point, the Overseer, has, he's gone and said, you're going to do this. And and Jimmy Fay never objected. He, he was completely spineless. But after this thing that Sun Ra says, I want you to leave this behind. He, he uh, sort of stands up to him, and it, it, it was a fairly interesting ending. But what do you, what do you guys
2: sort of? It's make of that? funny. That's kind of a slightly odd. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that is kind of odd, isn't it? Because the, the part of himself that he leaves behind is yep. not the part of himself that you would assume would treat the overseer like that. Right, right, right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: that's he'd be given in to him.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's
3: been the other way around. He's been completely subservient. And yes. It's it's just yeah I, I'm very confused. Look, if you're listening out there and you're thinking what the hell are they talking about, just go watch this and then get back to us. Mm. Uh, now I don't this is
0: uh, this is one thing I want to say too that since recording the beginning of see here the one thing that you know I think that we've kind of neglected to do, which I think we should, is to kind of uh, share availability to people or at least to tell people how they can. Find these films because I think this is a hard one to find.
2: Is it? Um, I assume it's not on YouTube. No, it's not. There is a
3: DVD uh, available,
2: right? Yeah, I believe there is. Yeah, there, mm-hmm. is,
3: there, there is that way. There mm-hmm. is a, there is a DVD available. I think it came out in the mid two thousands. So, right there you go it's out there it's yeah, just I'm a hard sure, one to find so, though it's so space is the place is available somewhere in space
2: i'm just uh checking now oh yeah you can um i'm looking on uh, amazon uk mm. um and you can find it, it is out there I don't okay know great it's not, it's not cheap I mean, it may be out of print at this point mm. right but um it is certainly available if, if you look you can get a, a physical copy in your uh sweaty little miss so and i would recommend that you do i yes. recommend that you uh you search it out it's worth mm. the money frankly
3: this is this is definitely a film I, I agree bernie this is definitely a film i'd say to the listeners who are sort of wondering what's the bottom line should we watch this yes for 100 percent. it's uh absolutely it's, it's completely enjoyable and if you allow yourself to be open to what ra's philosophies actually are then, you know, once you sort of like look beyond the why is he wearing that weird Egyptian headgear? Why does a band sound like that? Then you'll probably, um, you know, find that really it's a very, very enjoyable film. It's, you know, it's not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination, but you try to look beyond it as a, you know, constructed piece of cinema. There's more to it than that.
2: Well, yeah, that, as as you said earlier, Morris, it's, it's more than the sum of its parts, isn't it? There's yes. definitely definitely a lot going on here and it's it's very much again as you were saying tim it's very much of its time something like this could have only been made during this period but at the same time it totally transcends that um, right. and it is one of those sort of curious you know what the fuck kind of movies that just <laughs> stands I, on its own it really i
0: can totally see this playing alongside something like uh, a double bill with like repo man oh yeah 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 yeah, or or the apple for that matter.
3: Oh, No, <laughs> <way>. no, no.
2: <laughs> I don't know
3: about that. just because okay, just, just both films have biblical themes does not mean no. Ooh. And they both go to space
0: in the end. <laughs> oh.
3: Oh, but uh, I, I want to say no, thank, I, I you, could, thank um... you very much for, for picking this one, Bernie. This was um... yeah, this was a great
0: film, Bernie. Yeah. I mean, when I first yeah. first sat down with this, it's just like whoa, you know. And I think the thing is for the uninitiated, you know, just going into this cold, it's it you're going to scratch your head and wonder what the fuck you're you're watching. But once you kind of dig, you know, dig in and do a little bit of research and you you know, you go online and find out what they're trying to portray, what what you know, initially the intent, then it becomes much more satisfying or you know, you understand like, that you know, it's not just you know, a bunch of images and you know, and a crazy old black dude wearing an Egyptian costume, you know. There, like, there, there mean, is
3: definitely yeah. there's definitely a narrative going on there. It, it takes it takes a while, but then once you sort of like sat back and finished watching you think, all right, there was a narrative there. Really, it'll be your subjectivity that says whether you thought it was a good one or not. But right. for mm. but for for mine just sitting there and you are know, wanting to take all this in and having an open mind. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it and i I think i think i'd watch it i'd watch it again
2: yeah i'm actually going to um i think i'm going to track down the dvd and and buy a copy for Mm. myself i think uh, i need this in my life on a permanent basis (laughs) right so i think the other thing as well uh we should say is you know if you're not really that au fait with Ra and and you check this out and it leads you into checking out some of his music you know that's a great thing as well you know absolutely jump in it can absolutely. be a little bit um, discouraging with an artist like Sun Ra because there is so much of it out there. But don't right. be scared, man. Jump in. There's all sorts of different periods, yeah. and you're going to find something which really speaks to you, I think. So, oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, check him out. Space mm-hmm. is the place. Ra was, you know, he was right. Cool. So is there anything else you want to add to this, guys? Or should we just all give uh, it a thumbs up? And uh... No,
0: absolutely. Thumbs. I endorse this entirely. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Right. Excellent. Excellent.
2: All right. Uh, well, thank you for listening to the See Here podcast this month. Next month, uh, I believe we have a, uh, a special guest, do we, we not? We
3: right? do. We have a very, very special we guest. I was, uh, I was in contact with uh, Mike White of the Projection Booth, and if you're out there and you've not listened to the Projection Booth, I urge you to do so. They've got uh, maybe 250 or more episodes out there, and they are one of the most thorough film discussion podcasts uh, on the yeah. net. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh. As if, if you're Don't a, get much if, better than that. If you're if you're a fan of yeah, really right. really great film discussion, I urge you to listen to that if you haven't already done so. And it's not it's not uh, elitist or obscurist or anything like that. It's just that they have a couple of guys, the, the two main hosts of the show, and they'll get on someone who might be a, an author or just someone who's familiar with whatever the movie is under discussion. And then they'll get interviews with either actors or or directors or writers or cinematographers, anyone who's associated with the film that they have under the discussion. And it's far from being, as I said, obscurist or elitist. It's very, very yeah. approachable. And the other thing I like about them is you know, they don't sort of say, right, well, we've got to keep this under an hour. They say, oh, we've got to talk about this film for three hours. Four
0: and a half hour mega session on Blade Runner.
3: Or
2: they did a six and a half hour and they, one on Star a six Wars. Out- well, yeah. but wasn't there like a five-hour one on Conan the Barbarian as well? Right, right. Something like Man, that. Man, it's almost. just, yeah, they, they right. really go above, beyond. They're, they're the, the Sun Ra of podcasts.
0: Right. Before, <laughs> before we announce we, the film that we're going to be discussing with Mike next month, I have a question for you all out there and see here, Len. Y'all in there, some alcohol. Do y'all want to drink some cold gin and potty? Rock and roll on at a party every day. We are going to rock you hard. We are going to cover the film Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park.
3: Right. Uh Yes, so for those of you who haven't yeah. turned off yet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're going to be discussing. I'm not sure what year it came out. Uh, be 82, 83. I don't know. Was this, was this oh, before? Oh, 70s. No, no, no. It was not the '80s. Really? Yeah, this I, I, was seven. Yeah, was, isn't
2: it like '78, like, something like that? Yeah.
3: Okay. Okay. So this came before uh, uh, the Elder, because well, the, the, I saw this album for years. Uh, uh, Kiss right. the, the music from the Elder or something like that. I, I've as I was speaking, '78. Wow, well, I'm surprised. I really thought this came later. I was speaking to a friend of mine down here who's uh, been on the Love That Album podcast with me a couple of times, Reese Lett, and he's a Kiss nut. And I asked him, I said, look, we're going to be covering this film on, on the show. Should I, you know, will, will it be good? And he, I think he indicated to me, this film is like the magical mystery Tour. what that was for the Beatles. Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park is the Kiss. I'm thinking, okay, so we're going to have a lot of fun with this next month. <laughs> uh, but yes, Mike Mike White, yeah. very much looking forward to having him uh, on on the program. And for those of you out there who uh, want to give a, a, a listen to it, I think you just projection projectionbooth.com or projection-booth. I can't remember. It's, but anyway, just just search for it in, in They're Google. on iTunes as
2: well, aren't they? They're
3: yeah. A, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're well worth your time. And thing is, though, the projection booth, I think, for Episode 100, Covered Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. But this was Mike's suggestion. He said, I want to come on the show, but I want to cover something fun, and, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about this film again. So there you go. That was uh, That's what Mike's bringing to uh, the program in December. Excellent. I don't know Excellent. if I should be afraid, but uh, it, it'll be nice having Mike, <laughs> Mike guide us through it. So uh, there you go. Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park with Mike White at the Projection Booth as our very special guest. If you want to get in contact with us, please write to us at seeherepodcast, that's S-E-E-H-E-A-R, seeherepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you or go to our uh, Facebook page and just come up with uh, any thoughts about films that you love or whether you agreed or disagreed with us about uh, this film that we've discussed this month. Um, And um, there you go. Yep. It's all wonderful, it's all good, and it's the last month of the year. So this will be two years of uh, the See Here podcast we're coming up to. Two years. Can you believe it? It's gone really, really quick.
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, no, it's, uh, it's It's frightening, isn't it?
3: Mm, there uh, you go. Time time goes. And, and, and this is we're in it for the long haul, people. You know, so uh, ten years from now.
2: Yeah, you're not going to get rid of us.
3: No, <laughs> afraid not. Afraid not. Even if there's only one of you out there <laughs> listening, which we hope there's more. But, you know. <laughs>
2: All right. two or three yeah, cool. not- alright well thank you for joining us uh, this month guys sorry Morris you were going to say no 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 I'm done I'm done alright well yeah thanks for joining us guys hope you enjoyed it and uh, yeah join us next month uh, for more See Here
0: thanks a lot guys cheers